For several years, there's been a game show on television called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Maybe you had some experience watching that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? The way that, the way that game show is conducted, ten questions are asked of the contestant, and the questions all come from elementary school textbooks. And uh, if you get them all right in progression, you can win a million dollars on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I think, as I understand it, only two people have ever won the million dollar prize. One was a Nobel Prize winner in physics, and the other was the state superintendent of schools in the state of Georgia. Only those two are the only two that ever made it all the way through the ten questions to win the million dollars. Kind of interestingly, on that show, when the contestants fail and when they miss the question and they are eliminated, they have to say, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. Well, today we want to make a play on that theme, but our question is this, not are you smarter than a fifth grader, but rather are you smarter than a sinner? Are you smarter than a sinner? This is a more important question. Because there's a whole lot more at stake. In this instance, it's not that we're playing for a million dollars. In this instance, what's at stake is our eternal soul. And so we want to talk about some of the mistakes that sinners make. Some of the wrong thinking. Are you smarter than a sinner? That's our question for study this morning. We stop just briefly to thank everyone for being here today. I don't, I cannot remember a Sunday when we had so many of our own gone, even not just gone nearby, but gone way far away out of state. Uh, we've got a lot of people gone. We have, but we have visitors filling in some of those blanks. We're grateful for our visitors. Thanks you for being here. We've got a beautiful Lord's Day morning in Middle Tennessee and a great privilege and blessing to be able to get, be together to worship God as Jeff prayed for us just a few moments ago. We're glad that you're here to be a part of this. As we study together, make sure that we're using the scriptures accurately. That is so important. And then, of course, the challenge at the end is, if these things are true, to make application in our daily lives. Thanks for being here this morning. So are you smarter than a sinner? Sometimes sinner thinks, a sinner thinks that God won't notice what I am doing. God just won't, he won't observe it. He won't pay attention. He won't even know that I have done this. Sinners think that way, and I think my fonts may be off a little bit. That's going to be small. I hope you can read that. Uh, the idea that God won't notice what I'm doing. You know, if I choose to do bad things, I can hide it from most people, maybe hide it from everybody. No one will know. For instance, maybe a husband thinks that he can sneak around and on his computer or on his smartphone he can view pornography and no one will find out. Certainly his wife won't know that he's been sneaking uh, opportunities to look at pornography. And we understand this is a huge increasing problem in our day and time. The Internet has made that so, so accessible. And people think that they can do that without ever being detected. I can hide it. I can hide it from my wife. I can hide it from others, this husband thinks. And he looks at his pornography. Or maybe there's this teenager. And this teenager says, you know, marijuana is pretty easily accessible in these days. And 
I can get a little pot and I can do some smoking and my parents will never find out about that. You know, it's possible. I think it is possible that, you know, you could probably do that and maybe your parents would not discover it. Nobody will know. Or maybe it's just a Christian uh, who lives sort of a double life. He's at church services on Sunday and he, he, he appears to be so devoted and interested in spiritual things. But as he lives his life the rest of the week, he's not that way at all. And he curses and swears and he drinks and he carries on and he's just not a good person. But he thinks he can hide that from his fellow Christians. He'll make a good pretense on Sunday morning. I can hide it from others is the thinking that sinners do. No one will notice. Maybe God won't notice. Well, there's where you're wrong. I might be able to hide everything I do wrong from others, but I will never hide it from God. Sinners think that it's possible to hide things from God, but it's not. Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Numbers 32, verse 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you get the point? It's a pretty easy point, isn't it? Sinners sometimes think that they can do what they do and God won't notice what they do. It, it, will not, it will go undetected and that is simply not the case. That is wrong thinking. We're going to mark out these wrong ideas that sinners have with a red X. You remember back when you were in school and you got back your test paper and it had red X's every place where you had missed a question? Didn't you hate to see those red X's? We're going to put a red X on everything that sinners think and they think wrong. Are you smarter than a sinner? A sinner sometimes thinks that God does not care about my particular sin. Uh, this view says... That there are some really bad sins out there. I mean, some awful things that people do. They, these are dark, black, awful sins that people do. But my sins, on the other hand, are not so bad. And I even refer to my sins as maybe little white lies, you know. Their sins are bad, evil, dark, wicked. Mine, not so much. I, my, my sins are not so bad. Do you think that? Sinners are inclined to think that way. But I want to tell you, it's a mistake to think that God looks at things that way about any particular sin. Several places in the New Testament, we have a listing of sins, sort of a catalog, if you will, of different sins that men commit. Uh, and in our view, there are some that are really, really bad, but others that are not so bad. Look at one of these lists in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 29. The Apostle Paul was describing the pagan Gentile world of the day. And he said about them being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural affection, or excuse me, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I'll tell you, there's some bad sins in that list. We're just putting this list up here for the purposes of saying there's some really bad things in there. So here's fornication. It's in the list. All kinds of sexual immorality. Murder is in the list. That's pretty bad. I'm telling you, that's a bad, bad thing. Haters of God. 
I mean, that's really awful, right? Did you notice disobedient to parents is in that same list? That doesn't seem to fit, does it? It, by, By our estimation, that doesn't belong in that same list, does it? Does disobedient to parents belong in the same list with murderers? The way we think it doesn't belong there, but in God's estimation it does. And this surely illustrates that all sins matter to God. And the sinner who says, what I'm doing, God doesn't care about the thing I'm doing. Please do not excuse yourself that way. That is faulty thinking, to think that God doesn't care about my sin. Sinners sometimes think that God is too loving to punish anyone. All right, so kind of watch the way we're progressing here. God does notice, and he actually does sort of care about all things. But the fact of the matter is God's just too loving to punish. So I acknowledge that I sin, and I know that God knows my sin. But I just don't think God could ever bring himself to punish me. In the end, God won't be able to, to do that because God is just way too loving. God is sort of like a doting grandparent, you know. I remember back years ago when Joel and Kelly left Cole with us. Cole's our firstborn grandchild. And he was a toddler. He was old enough to be disciplined and taught. And as Joel was leaving that time, he said, Now, if he does anything, if he acts out, you whip him. And I said, Joel... There won't be any whipping here. <laughs> if there's whipping to be done, you've got to do the whipping. We're not doing the whipping here. <laughs> because that's why grandparents like to be, right? You know, we just want to be all positive. And let the parents deal with the, the ugly discipline things. We don't want to have to deal with that. And some people have the view that God's like that. God's just like a doting grandfather. He's just, he just loves us so much that he would never be able to punish us. First observation is, it's true. God is certainly a loving Heavenly Father. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God loves us. He loves us incredibly. If you want any evidence of the love of God, consider the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. God is a loving God above measure. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says basically the same thing. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. He's a loving God. But the next verse there says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Do not. Do not imagine that the love of God is so great that it absolutely excludes his justice and judgment because the scriptures say he will judge. I really think that those who think that God's too loving to ever bring judgment must have never read in their Bibles in the early chapters of Genesis about the great flood in the days of Noah. Damon read this text for us earlier in Genesis chapter 7 when the flood came. The flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, and every man. God too loving to punish? Well, how how do you connect that with the historical statement about God's judgment in the days of Noah? It's just wrong, really, to imagine God 
too loving to ever punish. Sinners think that, but they're wrong when they think that. I'll tell you something else sinners think, and that is that they think they're not so bad because they compare themselves to others. I think this is possibly one of the most common ideas that sinners have. Um, you know, there's a lot of really, really bad people out there. There really are some just horrible, terrible people out there. Uh, and if, if you ever watch the news or listen on the radio, if you read the newspaper, there's just some incredibly awful people out there. And of course, those, those very bad criminals get the top coverage, right? And so we have mass murderers and, and people who do, you know, these shootings in public places. And, and here just last week, there was this a criminal who escaped from prison in West Tennessee and he, he killed a, a, a woman who was a prison guard and, and molested her in the process of that and he was on the run. And by all accounts, this is a really, really bad guy. There's just some bad people out there. There's some really bad people. And, but I'm not. I'm not as bad as that. I'm, I'm just really not as bad as that. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I, 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 I'm a decent citizen in the community. I pay my taxes and I try to obey the laws and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, try to be friendly to my neighbors and, and I don't kick the cat, you know. When I had a chance, I didn't kick the cat. I'm just a pretty decent guy. I'm sure not as bad as a lot of those other people. What about that? Well, that won't work either, right? I think sinners think that way. A lot of sinners think that way, but that won't work either. This was the, this was actually uh, the way that the famous Pharisee thought in the story that Jesus told in Luke 18, beginning verse 10. Luke 18, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much of his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Notice, I'm not as other men are. What was he doing? He was making that comparison, wasn't he? I'm not as other man, men are. I'm not, I'm not even like this publican over here. Jesus said that won't work. That man was not justified before God because of that con- kind of justification by comparison. Paul warned about this very specifically in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, when he said, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It is not a wise thing to try to justify yourself by saying, I'm not as bad as others. Sinners do that, but it doesn't work. That's faulty thinking. I'll tell you what else sinners do a lot of. And that is to make the mistake of saying, I can worry about serving God later. We are all, I think, in varying degrees procrastinators. To all the men uh, here this morning, I would ask, are there some chores around the house that you know have needed attention maybe for quite a while and you haven't gotten around to doing them, just kind of putting them off? Procrastination. We're inclined to procrastinate, but I'll tell you the worst area wherein we procrastinate is in regards to our relationship with God. I have lots of time. There's lots of time to take 
pay attention to spiritual things. I don't have to do that right now. I don't have to worry about that right now. I'm, uh, I'm still a young man. I, I'll have time. When I get older, I'll, I'll pay attention to God and maybe try to do something about religion later in life. But I got lots of time. I got plenty of time. Faulty thinking, right? It's the way sinners think, but it's wrong to think that way. In James chapter 4, beginning verse 13, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. James here, I've always appreciated the word picture that James paints there when he suggests our life is like a vapor. And I'm always made to think when I hear about that uh, uh, sort of picture uh, on a cold winter morning and you start up the car and there's just a cloud of vapor that comes out of the tailpipe. But you know, just almost as soon as it appears, it vanishes away. And so you can really grasp the idea of a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And James says, that's our life. And our life will be like that. We don't have a whole lot of time. Even a person who lives to the ripe old age really doesn't have much time. But even that is uncertain. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, we're told, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We're not even guaranteed of tomorrow. We don't know that we have plenty of time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. That's actually what Paul was talking about. This bad idea that I got plenty of time is actually what Paul was addressing right here when he says, The Lord's going to come like a thief at an unexpected time. When you think that you've got plenty of time, when there's peace and safety, that's what you think. And the Lord will come. Do not imagine that you have time, lots of time. You can worry about God later. Again, that's wrong thinking that sinners think. Are you smarter than a sinner? Finally, let me suggest to you that sinners often think that there'll be Sort of a second chance. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And then what I'm hoping for and what I imagine will maybe happen is that at the end, I'll be able to have a do-over. I can do it over. I can correct my mistakes. I'll get a, a second chance at the end. No, that second chance is not promised. The famous story of the rich man Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, beginning verse 23. In hell the rich man lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his water, dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, notice, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot... Neither can pass to us that would come from thence. Basically, what Abraham was telling the rich man is, your faith's sealed. It's over. There's no second chances. There's no do-overs. It is what it is now. And you had your chance and you didn't pursue it. And now your eternal fate is sealed. There's no second chances. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Notice, our judgment is going to be on the things done in the body. That means while I'm alive, here and now, right? After I'm dead, the matter is sealed and the judgment is final. Sinners are wrong when they think there will be a second chance. We've got six things up there wherein sinners are wrong in their thinking. Are you smarter than a sinner? Are you smarter than to think that way? On the game show that we referenced at the start of the lesson, when the contestants missed a question and were eliminated, they had they, they were required to say, I am not smarter than a fifth grader. You know what? I'm compelled to say this morning, I am not smarter than a sinner. And if you are honest with yourself, you're not smarter than a sinner either because we are all sinners, aren't we? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so for whatever reason we think that we could get away with our sin, that we could sin for whatever reason, whatever thought process was going through our mind. We've tried to mention some of them, but there are plenty of other ways that sinners think. And all of it is faulty thinking. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness. I am not smarter than a sinner. But thankfully God has made a means whereby I can be saved from my sins. He's made salvation possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our question for you this morning is, have you sought that remedy for sin? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners. We've, we've made bad decisions, faulty thinking. We're not smart enough to avoid the sin, but we have a loving Father who's made salvation possible for our sins through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you availed yourself of that sacrifice? Have you done the things to be forgiven of sins? If you're not a Christian yet, that would mean upon hearing and believing the truth to repent, confess Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If, if you need to do that, we're anxious to assist you in your obedience. Let us know. We'll be glad to study with you more. If you're a Christian already, but you've slipped back into sin, not thinking right, not doing right, we beg you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.